There was a rabbi who wrote about his experience in a Nazi concentration camp. And he wrote these words. One evening in the winter of, I'm sorry, he was telling the story. One evening in the winter of 1944, his father, who was a prisoner there, took him and some of their friends to a corner of the barracks that they lived in. He told them it was Hanukkah, and he began to light a wick, a wick that he had placed in a melted margarine ration. The son, one telling the story, was angry. He protested the waste of precious food, something, by the way, we certainly do not grasp in a land of plenty. But those who were in emaciated people know very well in camps like that as they're starving how valuable and how precious something like that is. And so he expressed his dismay, expressed his great anger, and his father said, we have seen it's possible to live up to three weeks without food. We lived almost three days without water once, but you cannot live properly for three moments without hope. You can live without a lot of things in life. But when one has no hope, one truly is living a dismal existence. Hope is a driving force that gives people reason to struggle on in the darkest circumstances in life. Someone said if one's hope is based on circumstances, one must always live in fear. Circumstances change as quickly as the weather. But if one's hope is based on an ever-faithful God, one can smile in the face of the foulest circumstances of life. God is bigger than any problem one could ever face. Our key text, our key verse for the year is... <laughs> My hope is in thee. That's the statement. The passage is very good. Turn to Psalm 39, if you would. Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Well, confession is good for the soul. Let's start out the year with that. I'll confess that this verse was originally chosen for one reason. I told you there are multitudes of times the word hope is found in the Bible, but this verse is the only entire, in, in the entire scripture that has the phrase, my hope is in thee. And so originally, when, when we were trying to come up with and, and we wanted to make a statement and have a theme that, that was, what, rhyming, there we go, hope in thee in 2023. Um, that I don't, by the way, live for that, but we just happened to have that the last couple of years. But when we put that together, it was the only place I could find it. And so, uh, quite honestly, I looked at Psalm 39 last week when we were uh, preparing to talk about the theme and preach on it in the afternoon service. And I said, ah, no, I don't really think 30, Psalm 39 has all that much. So here's my confession. Boy, was I wrong. Psalm 39 has some wonderful truth for us and teaches us some important things about hope. And I hope, you'll, I hope you will find to be an encouragement today and a challenge as well as we consider this phrase, my hope is in thee. 
So let's spend some time looking at this wonderful psalm. It's full of such rich truth. I'm going to read the entire psalm, verse 7, just that one statement is pretty much right in the middle, uh, but there's a lot to glean from the rest. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, then spake I with my tongue. Lord, make me to know mine end in the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding that today as we look at Psalm 39 and contemplate the teaching and instruction we find there, that we would find hope, that we would understand better where hope is needed and what hope needs to be in. And I just ask you to stir our hearts today with the truth found in this chapter, and may we truly hope in you. And this year, may we rest in and look to and count on and wait on and trust in you. And I will thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the outline starts with these words, the daylight of hope. At least that's how I put it in my, in my notes because just trying to, trying to give you an overall view of this chapter this psalm is a very interesting one, to say the least. Do you know that they have entitled, in fact, one writer had this title for the psalm, A Psalm for Funerals. Ah, I kid you not. A Psalm for Funerals. That's kind of a depressing thought, isn't it? And yet, that's what uh, many actually suggest, and many, I guess, in, in the day, used to use this passage for. He suggests, as others do, that the matters spoken of here speak about pain, suffering, and death. Spurgeon, when he introduced this psalm, began with these words, The psalmist, bowed down with sickness and sorrow, is burdened with unbelieving thoughts. In verse 11, when David talks about, uh, about what's going on, he talks about God's judgment, and he says God makes his beauty consume away like a moth. Now, that's kind of dismal stuff, isn't it? 
So if you're going to understand this chapter, and by the way, if you're going to understand, I think, verse 7, which is my description, a ray of light in the midst of pretty much a dark psalm, a very discouraging psalm or a depressing psalm overall, then you, uh, if you would understand that or if you get that glimpse or get that kind of picture in the psalm, it helps you understand that really what he talks about, hope, is truly like daylight in the midst of darkness. So the entire song has a very somber note, a very solemn note, a very sad note, a very a note that's talked about talking about suffering. But the statement here in verse 7 is like that ray of light. It's like sunlight in the midst of darkness. It's like someone has turned on turned on the light. My hope is in thee. Yes, things are bad. I tried, I, I, was, I didn't even, decided I wasn't even going to talk right at the beginning. He starts out that way. And he said, in, when I kept silence, I ended up sinning. I ended up doing things that were wrong. This is really, truly a sad song until you get to verse 7. What am I waiting for? My hope is in thee, a ray of light in the midst of darkness. I came across a story that kind of uh, pictures that. Back in 1995, Pre President Borja, I think it was, of Ecuador, shared a story with a group of Americans. The Americans had come to Ecuador because they were going to set up a Christian prison outreach in his country. Now, he had been in prison years before he was elected to be the president of Ecuador. And you say the reason why? He had been involved in the struggle for democracy in Ecuador. The military cracked down. He was arrested. Without trial, as he told his story, they threw him into a cold dungeon, a dungeon with no light, no window. No one knew where he was, at least from as best he knew. Uh, no one had, uh, had any idea that he was even, had been, had been taken. For three days, he had the solitary fear and darkness that can drive a person mad. And just when the situation seemed unbearable to him, the steel door opened and something crept into the darkness of his room. He heard no voice. No one spoke with him. But he heard the person working on something in the opposite corner. And then that figure crept out, closed the door, disappeared. Minutes later, a light turned on. Someone had risked their life to go in and fix a light fixture so that he would have light. And here's what he said about it. My imprisonment, imprisonment had meaning because at least, finally, I could see. It was like the light in the trying time gave him hope. Someone knew he was there. Someone knew that uh, he was in darkness and someone did something about it and it gave him light hope is like light in darkness when i read this psalm and when i ponder the things that have been said about it and the things i can see myself as we read through the chapter i i would say as well except for verse seven it's kind of like wow this is really a bad psalm you know this is one where you just come away and you kind of feel you kind of feel bad except for the words my hope is in thee and everything that goes on in this psalm, other than telling us all about what was taking place in his life, ultimately it points to he had hope in God, and therefore he asked God to do a work in his life toward the end of the chapter. 
So it's like a ray of uh, hope, if you would, the daylight of hope in the midst of darkness. But in this chapter, if we're going to be honest about it, we find the difficulty of hope. As I read the verses surrounding this ray of light in verse 7, a number of words came to mind that describe what troubling times do to hope. You have troubling times, don't you? And a lot of times they, they have the tendency to squash hope in our life. And for those who like alliteration, there were a number of words that came to my mind. Uh, the destruction of hope, the desertion of hope, the dilemma of hope, the discouragement of hope, the darkness that dissipates hope. I don't know how you want to put it. You can put it any way in, in your outline that you want. I had put the difficulty of hope we find talked about in the rest of the song. So let me share some of the things that, that made hope difficult. He was confounded as he considered the source of hope. Look at what it says in verse 9. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth. Those last four words are, are pretty powerful words, and they're almost a scary thought, aren't they? Because he's talking to God here. What did he say about his difficulty? What did he say about the darkness? Who brought it? Who caused the darkness in his life? God did. You know, hope is difficult at times because when we understand that God is in control of all things in life, sometimes it becomes difficult to have hope because we look at certain situations and say, why would God do this to me? I know you never say that. But in verse 9, he reveals the truth. It was God who did it. He was confounded as he considered the source of his problems, of his darkness, of his trouble. This darkness wasn't an accident. By the way, troubles in life are not an accident. God hasn't made a mistake. Uh, God is not dead. He's not asleep. Uh, God has not thrown you aside when darkness comes in life. Uh, tragedy, darkness is part of life. Sent from the very hand of God, according to verse 9. So here's a man in this funeral psalm, you know, dismal time, difficult day, a very trying time in his life. And he admits readily, my hope is in you, Lord, but you are also the one who brought this in my life. You are also the one who put me in this place. You are the one whose hand has been at the controls of the, of the furnace of affliction that I'm in right now. God, you have been the one who has brought this uh, to my life. And I'll tell you something, verse 7 is truly amazing when you ponder that. And the reason I say that is because I've known many people, and you probably have as well, that when affliction comes and they can contemplate the thought, God did this to me, people get bitter. I've met people who have stopped going to church over issues and things that have come in their life. Not in the church they're in, but just trials that God has brought to their life, and they get discouraged, and they say, well, if God would do this to me, then I might as well not serve him any longer. I've met people in life who struggle with the fact that God is in control in the midst of their difficulties. Why would God do this? Well, there were a lot of people saying that in 9-11 when it took place. There are a lot of people in the tragedies and, and difficulties of life, hurricanes, other things that come into lives, and, and if you would decimate someone's life, or people look and they say, well, if God did this, then I'm not going to serve him any longer. But that isn't David in this psalm. 
It is, though, something that sometimes can, if you would, squelch hope, discourage hope, make one despondent and make one turn and say, well, well, you know, should I serve God any longer? And you say, I can't believe you would say that. But I find people in the Bible who said that. Didn't Job's wife tell Job to curse God and die? Listen to the words. I, I, I put them in, in, in the Job 2. Verse 7 says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Now, Job already lost his family. He already lost all his possessions. And one after another, the servants came and told him the sad news, all these things that happened in his life. And he, he's in sackcloth now. Satan goes back to the Lord, and the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan says, Well, he serves you for naught. You haven't touched his body. You haven't destroyed him physically. You just allow me to touch the outside things, the, the external things. Well, I don't know about you, but losing your kids, all of them in one day, would be a, a tragedy that would be hard to take for anyone, any human being. And Job is still serving God at this point, and God says, Okay, but you can't take his life, Satan. And so Satan goes out and is allowed to afflict Job. And from the, the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, he has sore boils. I don't know about you. I, I've had boils at different times in my life. They're painful. And I can only imagine what it'd be like. I mean, if you had two or three or four or five, but to have them over your entire body. And the only, the only relief you have, and it's not even relief, is he sits down, he's in ashes, and he takes a piece of potter, and he scrapes his arms. And, and he scrapes the different, if you say, the oozing sores and the, and the pains that just are causing agonizing pain, so much so that his wife says, just curse God and die. Get it over. Get it over with. Why would you want to serve this God? And Job's answer in verse 10 of Job 2 is so powerful. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? He was a man who, like David, was at a point in his life where he said, this affliction has come from God. God has allowed this affliction in my life. He didn't know all the battle, I don't think, going on until perhaps later on. But here's a man who in the midst of that said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I'm going to hope in God. And my friends, you need to understand that God is at work even in the difficulties and trials and the dark days of life. But understand that when those times come and when you see them from the hand of God, it can discourage you from hope. It can lead to times where you really question and start to get bitter at God over the things that have taken place in your life. And it's at those times you need to just strengthen your mind on this fact that God is the one to hope in, even though God is the one who has allowed you to get into the place you're in. So hope thou in God. We saw a film just a few days ago about the writing of the poem uh, by Henry uh, uh, Wadsworth Longfellow. Um, the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. 
And they had the story they told about how he lost his wife to a tragic accident. After her death, he wallowed in self-pity. One of the questions that came to mind, is God asleep? Is God dead? The song even reflects on that. God doesn't sleep. God is not dead. Uh, It took a while, though, before he ever got to that place. My friends, when we're going through hard times, uh, hope is needed. But sometimes the things that make hope difficulty are the fact that, well, God is the one. Confounded as he considered the source of his problems, God, thou didst it. Consumed as he experienced the pain, verse 10, remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Here again, we have this idea. God is the one who brought it. But it's like God is beating on him. Have you ever felt that way? I'll tell you, those are times when hope is difficult. True. It's hard for someone to continue to hope in, in God when it feels like God is the one who's beating you down. God is the one who's... His strokes, his fists, I'm feeling it. And that's the way he describes this. And yet, in the midst of that, the funeral psalm, he says, my hope is in thee. You know, again, it's, it's one thing when someone's going through difficult times. It's one thing when maybe the struggle's been great, but it, it's another thing when you feel like God has just been beating on you and beating on you and beating on you. And you're hurting and you're in pain. Consumed as he experienced the pain of his situation. Uh, Job, I think, by the way, seemed to speak that way as he got a little bit further on in his difficulty as you read through the book. A great parallel between this psalm and and the the book of Job. And a man who went through intense suffering. You know, if we're going to grasp the difficulty of hope, we kind of have to get the picture. It'd almost be as if your friend... Has, has treated you ill, has been doing you, been beating on you and hitting you, but then you look to them for help. Then you trust in them to, to take you out of it. And yet that is the situation that's kind of described for us in this chapter. Uh, he was corrected for sin committed. Look at verse 11. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. You know, like... Uh, you know, well, moths consume away, don't they? You ever see them going to that light? Zapper. <laughs> okay, I'm getting this grand picture of moths. But I think it's a way that, that you describe it. You should say his beauty was consuming away like, like a moth. His life was just ebbing away. And it came as a result of his sin. He was guilty. By the way, this is another thing that makes hope amazing in this passage because he's saying these things are coming on me because of my sin and yet he still hoped in God. Isn't that an amazing thing? All right, so we've got this picture that says hope is difficulty. Grasp that situation. He's reeling from a situation given by God. He's feeling pain that has been inflicted by God knowing that he deserved the affliction which had come his way because he had sinned and yet those are amazing words and and after i took more time to look at psalm 39 it just marveled a man who had hope in god 
when he shared all the things that God had been doing in his life. So the difficulty of hope. But then we have the direction of hope. The direction of hope. There's a lot of discussion about Psalm 39. Again, funeral psalm, a lot of different ideas about it. In fact, commentators basically take it one of two different ways, and we're not even going to deal with that. But it's interesting. I always love passages that that, uh, commentators don't agree on. Because then it reminds me that, you know what? There's people that have spent years studying the Word of God, and they still don't know. And it encourages me, because there's things I don't know, too. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't encourage you, but it encourages me. Because I realize, hey, look, you know, we may not have all the answers. And we may not understand every single passage. And we may not know all the background. We may not know the reason why things were written. And we may not even come to an agreement on some passages. Now, thankfully, it's not that way for a great majority of Scripture. And there's just a few places. But there are times where someone comes to a passage and and may not understand completely what's going on. But whether or not we understand the different directions that someone might go, let the passage speak for itself. The author is suffering greatly at the hand of God when the song begins. And you know what he says? He's going to say nothing. He's going to remain silent because he understood if he opened his mouth, it might lead to sin. Have you ever said that? Just about every time I open my mouth, it leads to something wrong, you know? I say things all the time that I shouldn't say. You've never do that, I know. But that was basically his attitude at the start. All this problem's coming my way. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And by the way, here's the thing. You say, well, that's a good thing. Actually, it wasn't. If you look in verse 2, he said, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace. And notice what he said. Even from good. You know, extremes in anything are not good. So here's, I'm just not going to say, if I can't say anything good, I'm not going to say anything good at all. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And and when we did, it led to more sin. Wow, okay. See, there's so many things about this psalm, so many things to consider that we don't even have time. And, and wow, ponder for thought. You you can chew on that one a little while there because it's really interesting what he says. But at the end of verse 3, we see this, this fire that's pent up as he keeps his mouth shut in this great struggle. And, and so he says, my heart was hot within me because I, 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 was, I was quiet. But as I was starting to think about these things, this fire burned. He said, I got to say something. I got I to gotta say something about all the struggles I'm going through. I got to say something. All right, so, so let me ask you something. Where do you go when you're really hurting and you're in pain and you're suffering and things are really difficult? And you say, I got to talk to someone about it. Seriously, where do you go? Most often, people go to others. Some people internalize, right? Come on, come on, think it through. I'm in pain. What? I just got to talk to someone about it. I'm hurting. I got to just share this with someone. I know someone needs to know what's going on in my life, right? So we start to talk to others, or, or, or again, some people just internalize and they they close everyone off and they just start to think within themselves. Well, when David had this fire within and he had to say something and he's hurting so much, I got I to gotta talk to someone about it. Where does he go? Look at verse 4. Where does he go? All right, people, that's the answer. Wait, wait, God's done this. God has allowed this in my life. And yeah, I deserve it because I, I, I caused this problem myself. I sinned. I did that which is wrong. But when he's 
in this dismal time and he's in this dark day and he's struggling and everything else and he says, I got to talk to someone. He goes to God. He went to the right place. And then go to people and say, oh, I got to tell you I'm hurting. Please pat me on the back. Give me some encouragement. Help me out. No. He turns to God and he says, God, God, I just, just teach me. Teach me what I need to know. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. I can't make it, Lord, on my own. Um, you know, hope, hope always needs to be directed to God. And, and we see this, this beautiful call to God in the midst of this song. I'm hurting. I just can't keep my mouth closed any longer. I, I, I got to talk to someone about this. Lord. Lord. And, and you know what's also, also is amazing? Think about this. What is the prayer? Lord, take this away. Actually, it does get to that. But where does it start? He doesn't start saying, Lord, take this away. That's where I would expect him to start. But where he starts is, Lord, help me to see myself as I really am. Help me to understand I can't make it without you. Help me to comprehend and grasp how weak and how frail I am in my life. And then it's interesting because... In verse 6, he points and he says, Lord, I also know that men in, in their state are altogether vanity. They're empty. They're useless. They can't help. Help me to see who I am. Lord God, I understand and, and help me to understand now that, that men can't help me. Look In verse 6, surely every man walketh in a vain show. This is the picture he's given about men. Surely they are disquieted and in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. In other words, what control do people, men have of their lives? Men can't even control their own lives. They can't control mine. They can't help me out of this. So then it doesn't surprise me when he's saying, Now, Lord, what wait I for? I'm frail. Help me to see that and understand that. The men I would turn to normally to find help can't help me because they can't even control their own lives. They don't have the ability. They don't even have, look, they can gather all sorts of money, but they have no control over it, and when they die, it's gone. Their life is vanity. Man can't do all that much. Where am I going to turn? What am I going to do? He's, he says, God, I'm, I'm utterly, now, Lord, what am I for? Where, where do I look? I, I can't look within. I can't look to others. What wait I for? And this is part of the prayer. God, my hope's in you. God, my hope is in you. I'm trusting in you. If anything's going to happen, it's because you do it. My hope is in thee. A call to God. A confidence in God. Rather than appealing to men, rather than trusting his own strength, he sees his own inadequacy. He sees the frailty of men and how God is in absolute control of everything. And he says, God, no men can do anything, but God, you can. What wait I for? My hope is 
in thee. This is, and now, Lord, what wait I for? That word there is Adonai. It's a beautiful word. There's many descriptive terms for God we know in the Old Testament, number, number of names for him. The word Adonai means the sovereign one, the controller, the master, the owner, the Lord. And he recognizes that. And by the way, that, that tells us why we should hope in God. He is the master. He's the controller. He's the, he's the one. He's the owner. He is the Lord. So look to him. Turn to him. Trust in him. Hope in God. So he calls to God. He has confidence in God. He cries to God in verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, to give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. He's waiting for no one but God. His hope is not in self. His hope is not in others, but God who allowed the difficulty and God who can remove the difficulty if he so chooses. My hope is in thee. So we have the direction of hope in this passage. Then we have the duty of hope. After he makes the statement, my hope is in thee, in verse 7, uh, he goes on in verses 8 and on through the end of the chapter to, to come before God and lay out his, if you would, his plea. All right, God, my hope's in you. Help me to see how frail I am. He didn't say, God, remove it from me. God, help me to see how frail I am. Help me to understand. And I understand that men cannot help me. So, God, I'm waiting for you. I hope is in you. I'm trusting in you. But it didn't end there. There's a number of things that happen. The duty or the duties of hope. First is reliance, trust. Where's your trust? The words of verse 7. He asks a question that needs to be answered by all men. What are you waiting for? Hey, let me ask you the question. Where is your trust? When it's dark, where are you looking? Are you looking to men who will amass riches, but they don't even know if they'll be able to spend them or enjoy them? Are you going to look to your own strength? A lot of people do. Well, I'll make it through. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to make it on my own. So we have someone who waited. The word trust isn't found in this passage, but it is. It's wait, and the word wait means to expect, but it's also a beautiful word because it means to bind together, almost like you would take different strands and you would wrap them around one another. And so uh, the picture of this, when he says, what, what am I waiting for? Uh, for, for whom? He says, it, it's God who I'm binding myself to. That's a beautiful picture. It's like, uh, okay, I'm hanging, I'm hanging by a thread, but my thread is tied completely to God. If he fails me, I'm gone. Do, do you get that? Because a lot of people don't. Sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm trusting myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it on my own. Some people trust in other people. But David said, you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for God. He's the one I'm bound to. If he doesn't bring me through this, I'm not counting on anyone else. If he doesn't bring me through this, I'm gone. And that is where our hope needs to be. That is what our attitude needs to be. There needs to be this reliance, this trust, this being tied to God in the midst of my darkness. God, it's dark. But I hope in you. God, it's dark. 
But my anchors is just, it's with you. It's in you and you alone, reliance. That's the duty of hope. But there's also repentance here. I put as, so not only do we have the the matter of reliance, but we have repentance and remorse. We'll give both things. Repentance is not needed for hope to exist every time, and I'm thankful for that. Many of the people that were in the concentration camps during the, 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 uh, the Holocaust, uh, many of those people weren't there because they had sinned, they had done wrong. In fact, a lot of people were there because they had done that which was right. They had done that which was godly, protecting the lives of, of, of human beings, Jews. So there were people... And such is the case in life. Many times we need hope in God when we haven't necessarily sinned. But in the case of this psalm, the problems that had come in his life, at least it's very clear in verse 11, it's rebukes that God was correcting man for iniquity. God, you're doing this because I have sinned against you. And when that is the case, if you're going to have hope in God, you not only have to have this reliance that says, God, if it's going to change, it's going to be you. But you also have to have the attitude that says, God, I want to be right with you and I want to make things right. And there has to be this remorse, if you would, this sorrow over sin and over wrong that leads us to come to God and say, God, I need to be right with you and I'm asking you to clean the slate. And before, before anything else is done, God, I need you to cleanse me. If you look in verse uh, 12, you see this remorse. Give ear unto my cry and hold not thy peace at my tears. Here is a man who understood, look, I have done wrong. I, have, I am receiving what I deserve. And God, I'm coming to you and I'm just pleading with you to do work in my life and change my situation. There was a sorrow over wrong that is pictured in this passage. And then, um, and, a, and a guy who then came to God looking to God and having hope in God. There has to be repentance and remorse. Um, you know, we live in a day where a sense of guilt over wrong and dealing with things is just being, like, thrown out the door. You know, there's even some preachers who are, are trying to reinterpret 1 John chapter 1 that talks about if we confess our sins and tell us that Christians don't need to confess their sins because their sins are all forgiven. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Almost the idea that Christians shouldn't have any remorse any longer for sin. But, but God gives us a different picture throughout the Old Testament and, my friends, the New Testament as well. That there needs to be a sorrow over our sin and over our wrong. That there needs to be an attitude that says, God, I have sinned and I have grieved you. And if anything's ever going to change, if I'm going to have hope in you, then it, it starts with my getting things right with you. So there's reliance. There is repentance and remorse. And thankfully, point B, the second point, repentance and remorse, isn't always needed in dark days when we haven't sinned against God. But we need to be clear that when we have done wrong, that we need to get it right with God. And we need to have an attitude of repentance and remorse. But then we find the request in verses 12 and 13, the duty of hope. Reliance, repentance, and remorse, and then the request. Hope exists even when we're deserving of the judgment that's coming our way. Isn't that wonderful? That, look, that is, that is so encouraging. Hope 
is still possible in God. A lot of reasons why. First, God abundantly pardons. It's nice to know that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wipe the slate clean. Isn't that great news? Man, there is a God in heaven who forgives, who is merciful, who is gracious, and who longs to, to help us even when we have failed. So here is a man, the funeral song, in the darkness of night in great distress, and he says, I'm the cause of it. But my hope is still in you, Lord. See my tears, hear my cry. I've come before you, I've, I've laid it all out, and God, I know that you're the God in heaven who forgives, and you're the God in heaven who can change my darkness today. So I hope in you. And so we have the wonderful encouragement in this passage that uh, there is a, a God in heaven that can forgive, and that's the request that's made. Dear God, do a work now in Hope, real hope, when you've sinned and your experienced judgment as a result of wrong comes when a man ties himself to God, changes his mind about his activity, he repents and has a remorse, and he comes to God making confession of his error and asking God for deliverance. And that's where his hope lies. The psalm is written in the midst of it, not after it. At least that's the tone of this whole chapter. He's not coming and saying, God brought me out. The psalm is written from the standpoint, spare me that I may recover strength. He's still looking and waiting and hoping. It's really beautiful. Because it's not a man who's looking back and saying, look at what God did. It's a man who is writing, and his attitude is, I'm in the midst of this, but I'm still hoping in you. I'm still in pain, but I'm hoping in you. And Lord, if anything's going to be turned in my life, it's going to be because you do it. My hope is in thee. So, so we got to say it. The delight of hope is that God is merciful and God is able. Those two things, God is merciful and God is able. So I blew it. I've come to God and I have had an attitude. I, my thinking has changed about my sin. And I have remorse over what I've done. And God, I've asked you now to forgive me. And God, if you would, have mercy on me. And God does that. You know, he does that with lost sinners. He does that with Christians who have failed him and turned back to him because God is a merciful God. And then I had to say, God is able no matter how dark the night is, no matter how dark he's made it, God can turn darkness to day. He has that ability. He can change our circumstances. He can change the things going on in our life if he so chooses. The delight of hope isn't just in the mercy of God, but it's founded in the great power of God to deliver or work or do whatever he says. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
Those are the words God spoke to Jeremiah. By the way, they are the words God spoke to Sarah. Twice in Scripture, God made that statement. Mary had questions about how could this be, seeing that I know not a man. And yet God said, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Who are you hoping for? Look, I, I, it, I hope you're not in darkness right now. But if you are, hope in God. Hope in God. Don't allow bitterness and anger to seep in over the fact that God has put you in the situation you're in. Look to him. Trust in him. Rely on him. Because he's merciful. He's able to deliver. Hope thou in God. My hope, the psalmist says, is in thee. No other place I'm waiting, nothing else I'm tied to. I'm tied to God. If he fails, I won't make it. But great is thy faithfulness. Hope in God. A great theme. Not just a great theme. An important practice. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.